1: Time for Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Dr. Chen is the pastor at Grace Church of the Bay Area, a church committed to glorifying the Lord Jesus Christ through verse by verse expository preaching to learn exactly what God has revealed in His Word. Now, here's Dr. Chen with today's message
2: Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have now to get into your Word. Indeed you are faithful you are faithful for to what you have done you are faithful to continue build us up to build up the church and even as we look at how Paul addresses the first, first Corinthians or the Corinthians rather in first Corinthians and he explains to them how you were faithful in establishing and building the church and continue to do so and now we know 2000 years later you are still doing that through us We praise you for your faithfulness. I pray for great understanding and clarity, both from listener and preacher, as we look into your word now. pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Back in college, uh, one of my first college jobs was to be a tour guide at my alma mater, UCLA. And so they gave me brief training, and different people would come, and whether they were uh, parents with uh, juniors or seniors in high school that were thinking of attending UCLA or that they were just tourists that wanted to see the campus and they would sign up and I would take them around and give them a little history of the campus of the school. And I want to give you a little of that history right now. UCLA was founded in 1919 but not on the campus that uh, we know of now that you might have seen or visited. It was in 1929, 10 years later, that it opened its now-famous campus that is in Westwood, California. And one of the interesting things about UCLA, and something that students often joke about or even complain about, is that there is always construction. It always seems like there is construction on campus. They're either building a new building, building a new dorm, redoing a walkway, renovating something, adding AC to another thing. There is always construction, it seems like, and that is actually true. Since it was constructed back in the early 1900s, except for obvious reasons, a brief period in World War II, there has never been a day without construction on the campus of UCLA. Now, that construction over the past 90 years and still going on today was built upon, and is still being built upon, the original foundation. Although not geographically centered, the original four buildings of UCLA still remain and are considered the highlight, the centerpiece of the campus. You've probably seen those four brick buildings, the most famous of which is Royce Hall, uh, modeled after a, a famous cathedral in Milan. Well, that forms the famous quad, and out of that, if even if you look at a, a map of UCLA, you can see how the campus built and extended westward out of that original and still standing famous quad. Well, the church, in many ways, is the same. It was founded, it was established 2,000 years ago after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And we know that the apostles did the work of establishing churches in that area, And over the last 2,000 years, it has spread. And there are still new churches popping up, and churches that are established are still growing, whether numerically or in the individual believers' faiths. But like that campus of UCLA, the original foundation still stands, and we are just building off of that foundation and continuing the work of all of those early Christians. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning as we continue our study of 1 Corinthians. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. We find ourselves this morning in the third chapter of verses 10 and 11 of 1 Corinthians as we continue our verse-by-verse study through this epistle. Let me read that for you, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. According to the grace of God which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. This morning I want to give you from these two verses our outline, which is simply five elements of building the church five elements of building the church, which we will tie into an actual construction site or building that we would see today. The first element of building the church is the competence, the competence. If you were to build anything, if you were to hire someone to build a home or a school or or an office building for you, you would obviously seek someone who has the competence to do that, who has the skill to perform the task, the the training. Now, when it comes to establishing a church or planting a church, which is the context of what Paul is talking about here, he is speaking of establishing that particular local church in Corinth. When it comes to establishing or building a church, the skill, the competence, the abilities come from God. And ultimately, that is the grace of God. And in the beginning of verse 10, we see that according to the grace of God which was given to me. Skill is required. But rather than from a seminary or even previous church and ministry experience, establishing a local church is first and foremost a work of grace. For Paul... Grace was seen in many aspects as it is seen in our lives. The first and most important, of course, was grace in salvation. Throughout the epistles, he recognizes how sinful he was and still is, especially in light of his past as a persecutor of Christians. And whenever we speak of any Christian life or ministry, Salvation, of course, is the first thing we talk about. It is foundational. It is most significant when we talk about the different aspects of grace. Saving grace, we call it. But in this particular context in which Paul is writing, it is not so much saving grace that Paul is talking about when he refers to the grace that God was giving him or had given him. He's talking about the grace of his apostolic task of founding, establishing churches. Of course, that particular aspect of grace would not exist if he was not first saved. But what he's talking about is grace in his calling, in his ministry. See, Paul was called to this task. And as difficult as gut-wrenching as physically exhausting and persecution attracting as it was for him he thoroughly sees it as a gift as god's grace not as god's judgment not as god's wrath not as something he's he's kind of kind of kind of trudged through but as god's grace difficult yes he, he literally shed blood in doing these things, in establishing churches, but he says this is God's grace. Now clearly there is a lesson for us here today as believers in life and ministry. No matter how hard your personal circumstances may be, we must recognize God's goodness and grace in our lives. That never goes away. Your circumstances may change. The world may say that they are bad. They are negative. But we as believers know that God is grace. It doesn't change. And that grace, as we know from scripture, is put forth and fleshed out in our lives. Just because we don't see it or recognize it doesn't mean it's not there. Now, By a way of reminder, grace is simply something that is given but undeserved. It is a gift in the truest sense of the word. When we talk about God's grace, obviously we are talking about that which God has given us that we don't deserve. Again, foundationally and foremost is salvation. But also, everything that we have is grace. Our abilities, our talents, our homes, our finances. Even the ability, the intellect, the tongue, the mouth, The reasoning, even the ability to complain, though we do it sinfully, about what's going on in our nation or world or having to shelter in place is God's grace in your life. You stand on the pedestal of God's grace often in order. We step on that pedestal of God's grace in order to reach him and slap him in the face. So often when we complain and shake our fists at him. And with that definition of grace, that it is a gift, you can see what the greatest challenge in our lives to recognizing God's grace is. Because if grace is something that is given that is undeserved, then the greatest hindrance to recognizing God's grace in our life is simply thinking that we deserve better. Thinking that we do deserve what we've gotten. We have earned what we've gotten, and it's not from from God. It is not a gift. In other words, the greatest hindrance to seeing God's grace is pride, self-entitlement, thinking you deserve and have earned the good, but definitely don't deserve what you perceive as bad. And that is wrong thinking. It is an uh, ignorance of God's grace in your life. But more to the point of what Paul is saying, ministry is a privilege. It is only by God's grace that he could do what he did. Just as an architect or a general contractor needs to have the skills for the job he has been hired to do, so the grace of God provided Paul not just with the skill, but also with the desire. I mean, think about it. Ministry is difficult when you practice it. How much more we know ministry was difficult for the Apostle Paul. I don't think we have ever gone through for ministry's sake, for God's glory's sake, what Paul has gone through and being beaten and dragged and stoned. Ministry is difficult. And yet he considers it all joy. He considers it grace. And so we understand too That ministry is a joy, ministry is grace, no matter how difficult it may be, no matter how uncomfortable it may make you, no matter how unrequited your love and your service may be from other people that you are serving. And that is because we do it not for ourselves, not for our own name, our own glory, our own pocketbooks, but for the glory of God. And when you realize that, What greater privilege is there in life than to glorify the very creator, not only of you, but of the ones that you are ministering to? It is a wonderful thing, and it is with that perspective, we can see God's grace in ministry even during the difficult times. And so, the skill and the desire is the competence. It is the grace of God. And when you think about what God has called you to do, it's not uncommon for People, for us to look at the Apostle Paul, and, and you think, "Well, I'm a I'm a teacher, I'm an engineer, I'm I, I'm just uh, uh, cleaning toilets, I'm doing whatever you may do for a living." And you say, "Look at what Paul did, the Apostle Paul," and you start thinking, "Have I wasted my life? Is there more that I should do? Should I go to seminary? Should I become a missionary? Because I just don't see." The eternal uh, benefits, ramifications of my current vocation. Uh, maybe I should serve more in the church. What you need to first and foremost recognize as a Christian is that wherever God has you is by His grace. Doesn't matter if you are vocationally in ministry or not, where God has put you is by his grace. And so whatever it may be, work hard and work for his glory, knowing that in his sovereignty, you are exactly where he has placed you. The only difference is whether or not your mindset is to glorify God in what you do. If you don't see the eternal ramifications of being a janitor, or a teacher, or an engineer, or whatever it may be, then it's because you have the wrong perspective. You have to have the right perspective of seeking God's glory, and not compartmentalizing your life and saying, well, I just kind of Got to get through the 9 to 5 or the the 6.30 to 8 more likely in the Bay Area and, and just get through that so that I can go home and start praying and start ministering and start doing these things. That is the wrong perspective. You are to glorify God in your ministry. And if you are not in a career of ministry, then your ministry is wherever you go. 9 to 5, 8 to 6, whatever. And it's all about perspective and effort. Well, with that in mind, let's look further into Paul's ministry at the second element of building the church, the contractor. We've seen the competence. Now let's look at the contractor. When you're having a home built, for example, you need to hire a contractor, someone to actually build it. For the Corinthian church, this was Paul. In verse 10, he refers to himself as a wise master builder. He said, like a wise master builder. And he's calling himself this in reference to his ministry of planting the Corinthian church. This is a continuation of what he previously wrote back in verse 6. I planted, speaking of himself, Paul, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. Well, what's a master builder? Again, when you see a phrase like this, you want to be careful that you don't just say, well, it just means a builder who's like the best, a master builder, like a master craftsman. Well, that's taking a a, a very uh, limited approach to that. It's taking a 2020 American English approach to that term. We need to go back to the time and context and language in which Paul wrote and see what is a master builder. Well, master builder back then was the person who was in charge of both planning and constructing a building. Although the Greek word that Paul uses here is where we get the English word architect, during his day, this individual was both the designer and the builder. So, for us, it would be both the architect... As well as the general contractor, and much like today, he would have had uh, not for the church, but a builder back then would would have contracts with individual workers, but they would all be coordinated, coordinated rather, by one person who oversaw, directed, and watched over all of the work. Now we know that Paul is not talking about a physical building; he's just using a an analogy. He's talking about the church again, not even a church building, but a local church, which is comprised of people, the redeemed, the very one he is now writing to in Corinth. And he preached and he taught and he laid the biblical foundation. And that's what he's saying when he says, I was like a wise master builder, according to the grace of God. Now, a project of this nature needs wisdom. When Paul says he was like a wise master builder, he is referencing the grace of God. And in God's grace, this wisdom that he was given was both spiritual as well as practical. This is a wisdom, as we have seen in Paul's writing thus far, that is not of this age or not of this world. To build the church, God's wisdom is needed. Again, we're not talking about a church building. It starts with the gospel, but also involves the skill needed to build up those people who have now come to faith. All of this, again, is by the grace of God. It's easy to be reminded of God's grace in all of this because the foundation that Paul laid is the gospel. This is true wisdom as we saw from so many different angles back in chapter 2. If you recall, Not only is the gospel wisdom, but it is foolishness to the world. This is a good reminder that ministry, and especially church planting, must be done according to the wisdom of God. In chapter 2, Paul spoke not only of the wisdom of God being the gospel, but also the wisdom of God in his methodology. Remember, it wasn't just his message, it wasn't just his teaching, but it was how he presented that message as well. In other words, he wasn't using the methods of the world. And you remember that he was in a place and in a time where there was a lot of what we would call rhetoric. There were these great schools of thought and philosophy in the Greco-Roman world. I mean, look back at chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. By way of reminder, he said, my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power. He's speaking of the world's wisdom there. Verse 5, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. The church, this is very important, friends, especially if you are involved in ministry in our church, the church is not a business. The church is not even an organization. The church is a living, breathing organism of God. Paul will emphasize this in verse 16 and following, which we'll see in a few weeks. As such, being founded upon the gospel, which is considered foolishness to the world, we cannot plant or continue building the church with the world's methods. There is way too much of those who are leading churches, who are serving churches, who want to place their business expertise or their understanding of economics or finances or even building up a secular organization or corporation into the church. That is a surefire way to lead to seeker-sensitive movements, to lead to entire groups of people getting kicked out of the church because they're not on board with whatever the pastor wants to do. It's because they're following the world's methods. They are taking cues not so much from Scripture and the Apostle Paul, but they are taking cues from the business world. That That is dangerous. We are the family of God, not a business. You would not run your family like a business. You would not treat your kids like employees. And so there's no place to change the product to get more people in the door. Well, we need to, we need to change the lyrics to the songs. We need to, you need to stop preaching about sin so much. We need, to, we need to do this and we need to do that and we need to have this presence and that thing. And we're taking the world's methods. That's not what we are. And in the same vein, we are not to worry about numbers, whether it's dollars or congregants. We are not to please the ears or the eyes of the unbeliever. It is about the gospel, which by its very nature is offensive. It turns people away. It makes the worldly long for something else. But when we start taking it personally that people leave because of the truth, and we subsequently twist the truth or twist our methods so that they're unbiblical, then we are not being a wise master builder, but a foolish one, an ungodly one. And when we start making excuses for our views on social issues, such as homosexuality and abortion, then we are not being a wise master builder, but a foolish one, an ungodly one. But the beauty of all of this is that the gospel is clear. The gospel is straightforward. The gospel does not change. And perhaps most importantly, on a practical level, the gospel is not ours. Paul was merely doing what God has called him to do the way God called him to do it. And so, we must be like the Apostle Paul, according. To the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that we As individuals and as a church have been built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, made available to us by your good pleasure, your glory, your grace, your mercy, your unfathomable but incredible calling. Heavenly Father, may we be a people who live our lives, not just our ministry, not just how we do church, not just how we tune into a live stream, but everything we do, every decision that we make, may it be based upon the gospel, our foundation. I pray that we wouldn't take that lightly. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. Tune in next week for a continuation of this message. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You're invited to join them for worship service in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit the website gracebayarea.org for directions and other information or to view a live stream of the service. As a listener-supported program, we ask that you consider making a tax-deductible donation so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Donations can be made through the website gracebayarea.org.